Welcome to Dealmaker Diaries, where you hear directly from the dealmakers who you invest with. M&A, real estate syndication, and more. Strap in for unparalleled advice, wisdom, and insight from some of the world's best business minds with Don Thomas and G1C Group. Welcome everyone to episode 33 of Dealmaker Diaries. Today we have with us Mr. Eric Oliver. Eric holds a Bachelor of Applied Science and Accounting from Westminster College. Prior to joining Cost Segregation Authority, Eric was an operations manager for a multi-million dollar landscaping and design firm in Long Island, New York. Since heading west and joining Cost Segregation Authority, Eric has been speaking at local, regional, and national events. He brings with him a passion for identifying cost savings and educating commercial real estate owners on the benefits of cost segregation. So let's give Eric a warm welcome to the show. Let's go. So Eric, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Don. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for um, lending us your time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, glad to be here. So, yeah, I know you're a busy guy and got a lot going on, so I wanted to jump straight into it. Um, I think with 2021 coming to a close, it's a it's a good time to talk about tax mitigation with our investors. I've had quite a few mention their hesitancy to invest with large tax bills coming due in 2022. So. I thought it'd be good to um, discuss some of the ways experts like yourself can help them to manage these taxes in a more methodical way. And so yeah. I know I know you're probably very familiar with um, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So can, can you summarize or unpack this legislation so my four-year-old daughter can understand it? <laughs> sure. Sure, Don. So yeah, so the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, um, was the Trump tax plan that happened at the end of 2017, 2018. And there was a number of provisions in there. Um, as you can imagine, with Trump being a real estate investor himself, there was a number of provisions in, in, that, um, in that act that were very beneficial to real estate investors. Um, the first one, which you may have heard of, is the bonus depreciation. And um, there was a couple things that changed with bonus depreciation that really put depreciation and cost segregation on steroids um, and is creating huge deductions for real estate investors now. Um, and so with that, you know, I'll jump a little bit into cost segregation. And I know most of your listeners probably understand what cost segregation and how it works. But basically, you know, we're accelerating the depreciation by doing a study, a tax study on the building. So when you buy an asset, let's say you buy an asset for Say you buy a single family rental home, we'll make, the, make it easy. You buy a single family rental home for uh, $350,000. And once you back the land out, let's say you have $275,000 of depreciable basis. You know, you don't get to depreciate your land. So let's say you have $275,000 of depreciable basis. Um, normally we invest so that we can take those deductions. Those deductions typically on a residential rental would be depreciated over 27 and a half years. And so essentially you're getting a, a $10,000 write-off every year for the next 27 and a half years. Um, when you look at doing cost segregation or accelerating those deductions, 
what you're doing is you're basically going in and picking apart or segregating the different costs of that building. So when you buy that residential rental, Don, you're not just buying the land and the walls. You're also buying a little bit of carpet, some countertops, some cabinets, maybe a few appliances, some window coverings, a big pad of concrete out in the driveway. You're purchasing all these things, but we don't know the value of those. And so that's that's where you know a cost segregation study would come in, put a value to those different components, and then allow you to accelerate that. And, and what I mean by that, Don, is you know, carpet, according to the IRS, is a five-year asset. And so if we put a value and say, you know, in that $275,000 home, you've got $10,000 worth of carpet, you now can depreciate that carpet over five years. And so with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and this bonus depreciation, it actually allows you to take that $10,000 of carpet and depreciate it even faster than five years. You actually get to take 100% of it in the first year. Okay. And um, and it pretty much works that way for everything involved in the in the building or asset that you're purchasing, right? Whether it be sinks, bathtubs, anything, you get to accelerate that. That's using that same method. Um, yeah, most of that stuff. So un- unfortunately, the IRS doesn't allow us to touch like bathrooms, for example. That's all twenty-seven and a half year assets. But really, you're segregating. The, the tax code reads that any asset under 20 years of depreciable life is eligible for 100% bonus. And so when you segregate that, we're typically segregating a building into five, seven, and 15-year assets with the remainder of the building being the 27-and-a-half-year structural stuff. Um, but those five, seven, and 15-year categories, everything we find in that category, because it's under 20 years or less, is eligible for that 100% bonus depreciation. So, you know, in the past, before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, cost segregation absolutely made sense because we were accelerating things that are normally depreciated over 27 and a half or 39 years. We're accelerating that into five, seven and 15 year categories. So, you know, you'd much rather take your deduction over five years versus 27 and a half or 39. But now that we've got this bonus depreciation since the end of 2017, now we can take those same five-year assets and write off 100% of them in the given year, which, like I said, has kind of put what we do here at Costig Authority on steroids. It just, um, you know, we're creating large deductions that sometimes people can't even utilize. Um, but that was probably the biggest change to that, to that, um, the tax law in terms of how it will affect real estate investors. Um, one other thing to mention, Don, in the past, in order to be eligible for bonus depreciation, you would have had to had a building under construction. So it had been new construction. It couldn't be an existing building. But one of the big changes in the, uh, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act is now it applies to existing buildings. So the building may have been purchased, or excuse me, may have been built in 1970. But if you purchase it this year, Don, it's new to you, and therefore you're eligible to take bonus depreciation on it. And so um, it no longer has to be new construction, which is a, another key element to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Okay. And, and is bonus um, depreciation, is that the same as um, accelerated depreciation? Is there a difference? There is a little bit of a difference. So you're, first, what we're doing is we're accelerating it. So we're moving it into shorter asset lives. But where the bonus comes in, uh, let's go back to that example of the $275,000 um, rental house. 
let's say we determine that there's $50,000 worth of five-year assets. Um, before bonus depreciation, you would take that $50,000 worth of five-year assets and you would basically take roughly one-fifth of that every year for the next five years. So you're getting a $10,000 write-off on those five-year assets every year for the next five years. Where bonus comes into play is you no longer have to depreciate that 50,000 over five years. You get to take 100% of that, the full amount in the first year. So um, that's that's true for your five-year assets, your seven-year assets, as well as your 15-year assets. Okay. So let's say we have a listener that's totally new to um, investing in multifamily syndications and they've put nice even number, 200,000 into an, um, to a syndication um, in January of 2022. So how, how, how would that affect his, um, his tax obligation moving forward? Or how would that help him? Can sure. you break that down? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And there's a few variables there in that example. You know, it depends on how the deal is leveraged, you know, um, how much debt you're taking out versus how much you're putting down and, and those types of things. But the idea is, as, a, as an investor in that scenario, you could potentially put in $200,000 into a deal and you might get $160,000 tax deduction on that $200,000. Um, you know, it's not uncommon to see 70, 80% coming back in the first year in terms of a tax deduction because of this bonus depreciation. And so that's, you know, I talk to syndicators all the time and they're always asking me, okay, I've got this deal lined up. Can you give me an idea of what my deductions would be? because they want to share those deductions with their investors. And like I said, they use that as a, as a marketing tool to help get investors interested. You know, mm-hmm. as syndicators, investors all have different needs and wants. Sometimes they, sometimes they want a tax shelter. Um, but being able to communicate that tax shelter to those investors and say, hey, you know, you put $200,000 into this deal because we're leveraging it, we're going to get you $160,000 tax deduction in the first year. Um, that could be huge to somebody who has a, a, a tax liability, a big tax liability going into the into the current year. And so um, it's a great way, like I said, to attract investors with this bonus depreciation because um, I don't know of a lot of things that you can invest in that need to be capitalized where you get that kind of tax shelter in the first year. Yeah, absolutely. And And does that tax deduction, is that used to offset passive or earned income? Um, that's a great question. So it depends on how you file your tax return. So if you file your tax return um, as a real estate professional, that deduction can be used to offset either passive or active income. So in, in what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is when you do the cost segregation study, those deductions are going to hit your tax return as active deductions if you're a real estate professional, which means they can go to offset all active income of you or your spouse if you file a joint tax return. Um, So we work with a lot of professionals where maybe they have high income W-2 jobs Mm -hmm. and they might have a spouse who stays at home, um, but the spouse qualifies as a real estate professional because they're managing their real estate holdings. And so now you do some cost segregation studies on your real estate holdings. Um, You file your tax return as a real estate professional because your spouse is a real estate professional and you get to file a joint tax return. And all of a sudden, I can use the deductions to offset, let's say, my doctor income. So, um, you know, it really does depend on how you file your taxes and whether or not you qualify. But even if you don't qualify, 
as a real estate professional, the deductions created through the studies can be used to offset any type of passive income. So whether it's rental income, or maybe you sold um, some stocks, and so you've got some some gains there, it can be used to offset any type of passive income. Okay. And what bonuses from like, if you have bonuses from your employee, would that qualify as passive income? I'm not sure how that's categorized. Um, it depends on how the bonus is structured. Usually not. Um, okay. Yeah. Usually that's considered active income. Um, but like I said, any type of, of passive income through the sale of jewelry or stocks or antiques um, or your rental income um, can also qualify or would qualify. Okay. Excellent. And um, does the impact of tax reform that could be coming down the pike from the new administration, does that have a negative or positive effect on cost segregation? Um, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've been doing this for about six years now. And so we've seen a couple administration changes in my time here. And it's interesting, cost segregation is kind of, there's always a benefit. It's just how big the benefit's going to be. So for example, when you know the Republicans are are in the majority and they're cutting taxes, typically what we see is that there's a lot more real estate transactions, and so um, you know more people are looking to offset taxes and and take advantage of the cost segregation. But then on the flip side, when you've got the the Democrats who are the majority and taxes are going up, now the benefits from cost segregation are more important because you're offsetting taxable income that's now going to be taxed at, let's say, 39% versus 37%. Hmm, okay. Um, so as you know, my guess is, as with most people would be that, you know, the new administration in one form or another, taxes are going up. And so how do we shelter our income from these taxes? Um, and the you know, in, in our industry, obviously, if you've got real estate, then one great way to do that is through accelerating your deductions so you can take those deductions against your income, lower your taxable income, and ultimately lower your tax bill. So our benefit is expected to actually go up with the new administration because now we're offsetting taxable income in higher tax brackets um, versus the prior administration. Okay. And um, is, the, is the average CPA, would you say, are they familiar with this part of the tax code where they can help their clients if they're investing in real estate syndications? Um, you know, that's a, that's a great question. So, you know, I look, cost segregation is kind of a, it's a specialty niche, I will say. Um, I oftentimes look at CPAs as kind of your general practitioners. They know mm-hmm. a little bit about a whole wide array, array of subjects. I mean, the the tax code alone is thousands and thousands of pages and they're changing it constantly. So just to stay on top of you know, the tax code is a challenge in and of itself. And so to be able to dive deep into depreciation and how it works and how it applies, most of your CPAs will partner with a cost segregation firm to, to outsource this type of work. You know, there's some, some of the real large players have a cost segregation department within their firm, but most of your mid to small size CPA firms, they just don't have, they have the tax knowledge they just don't have the um, construction or engineering side to be able to go in and deconstruct the building and put costs to those different components. And so they've most of your CPAs have heard about cost segregation. Um, I don't know that they necessarily know how it works or applies in different situations. Just 
no fault of their own. They just don't have the bandwidth to be able to dive deep into that subject. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I know being a syndicator myself, I mean, talking to investors about this, I try not to go too deep and say, you want to discuss with your, this with your accountant, but um, what would be your advice for an investor whose CPA doesn't know so much about it? Would it be just that to partner with a cost segregationist or to give someone like yourself a call? Yeah, absolutely. So I know here at our firm, we I spend a good portion of my day on the phone with CPAs, walking through different scenarios, talking about different strategies on how this applies. And so, um, you know, we always advise our clients, you know, if your CPA is not fully on board or they don't fully understand, or or sometimes they may they may even push back only because they don't have the knowledge or understanding, let's get on a phone call, let's talk through this. And usually once we've shed a little bit of light on, on the different subjects and how they apply, um, you know, usually we can come to an agreement. And that's the other thing for us, uh, Don, you know, sometimes investors will call us and say, hey, I want to do a cost seg study. And I always recommend getting the CPA on the phone because sometimes even the investor doesn't really know what's going on in their tax return. And so sometimes maybe they can't benefit as much as they think they can by having a cost seg study because maybe they're already operating at a loss. And so they don't need any additional deductions. Um, or maybe they've got deductions from last year that are carrying forward. And so I always try to get the CPA involved from two fronts. One, to make sure they're on board and make sure that the client can benefit from the deductions. Um, but on the other side, like I said, to make sure that there's nothing within that tax return that's going to be a surprise to us or a surprise to the client, and they're not going to realize the full benefit of, of the cost segregation study. So um, I'll just give you an example here, Don. Um, one question we get asked quite often is about recapture. Um, you know, a lot of investors, when they're weary of cost segregation, it's like, hey, isn't this just a timing issue? I'm going to get my deductions whether I accelerate them or I don't. So aren't I just paying for a timing issue, you know, and don't I have to pay all those deductions back when I sell the property in the form of recapture tax? And so, you know, when we're talking to CPAs, one thing I always tell CPAs is, you know, regarding the recapture, I'll, I'll put it a little differently, Don, but if you don't do cost segregation, and let's say you buy an asset for a million dollars and you sell it five years later for $2 million, if you don't do cost segregation, you're essentially telling the IRS that everything doubled in value. So you're saying my land is worth double, my walls are worth double, and so is my dirty old carpet that I've had for five years. It's all stained. And that's just not the case. As you know, Don, carpet goes down in value. It doesn't yeah. go up in value. But when you don't have the carpet or the countertops or the appliances or these types of things segregated out, when you go to sell the asset, all you have is building. You just have one line on your depreciation schedule that says building, bought for a million, sold for two million. You have to realize all that gain. And so when you do a cost segregation study, the whole idea is to take your deduction at the highest rate, pay back a portion of it at a lower rate at a future date and save the spread. And usually when we kind of go through that scenario and say, hey, are you selling your carpet for more than what you bought it for five years prior? Usually that's kind of when the light goes off um, for you know, some of the CPAs we work with. And they say, you know what, that doesn't make sense. You're right. Carpet doesn't go up in value. Carpet goes down in value. There shouldn't be a gain to your carpet. And so, again, by doing cost segregation, it allows you to manage the recapture tax upon sale. 
And it's just one of the additional benefits of um, having that money. You know, obviously there's a time value of money. There's an inflation element. Um, there's all those elements, but one of the, the oftentimes misunderstood or um, missed element to cost segregation is being able to manage that recapture upon sell. And so, um, you know, great conversations to have with your CPA. And like I said, we're happy to jump on a call and kind of go over that with our clients and their CPA to make sure everyone's on board. Okay, great. Yeah, you know, thanks for that explanation. That really, really makes, helps you visualize it a lot better with that example. So thanks for that. Absolutely. Okay, and Eric, I also wanted to dig into a little, little bit about the um, 179D energy credits. Can you, can you explain this section of the um, Internal Revenue Code? Yeah, so the 179D energy credits, um, it's an it's a energy efficiency credit for commercial real estate or also residential rentals over three stories, so your large apartment complexes. Um, and what it is, is it's $1.80 per square foot um, deduction based on how energy efficient the building is. And so there's some standards. You do have to have it um, certified by a third party. Uh, but they come in, they do some modeling, they look at how energy efficient the building is. And the nice thing about the 179D is it actually can be broken up <clears> into three parts. So there's a 60 cent lighting component, there's a 60 cent building envelope component, and there's a 60 cent mechanical component. And so um, you may qualify for all three and get the whole $1.80 per square foot, or you may just qualify for one, you know, maybe you just have energy efficient lighting. And so you just qualify for the 60 cent um, deduction. But um, this was extended as part of the CARES Act. And it's probably one of the most underutilized energy credits that I'm aware of. Um, I work with a lot of builders, a lot of syndicators, a lot of people building new construction, and they've never heard of this and or taken advantage of it. And um, and so, and I, again, part of that, I think too, is it kind of went away for a while. And so now that it's back, I think some folks just don't realize that they can take advantage of it. But if you're building new construction, um, it's definitely worth looking into and, and getting an opinion on that. Um, like I said, you have to have a third party look at it. And um, those three different components, if they qualify, you could get a dollar 80 per square foot deduction, which could be significant on, um, you know, some large real estate projects. Absolutely. And um, if you, if you're, if you've purchased an older building, um, are there things you can do to help, help your asset qualify for that deduction? You know, you can. So for example, let's say I have a building that I bought, let's say it was built in 1990 mm -hmm. and I own it and I'm going to get new tenants. So I'm going to go in and and gut the interior portion. I'm going to put new lighting, um, maybe some new insulation, depending on what kind of work you're doing, you absolutely can qualify for a portion of those credits or for the whole $1.80. Typically on remodels, we don't see the whole $1.80 because it's not often that you're going in and replacing the windows or replacing the insulation. Um, but we've done quite a few projects where they've gone in, new tenants have come in, they've done some TIs and they're updating the lighting and putting in some LED lighting, and all of a sudden, you know, they've got a 60 cent energy credit per square foot that could be substantial. Okay, excellent. And another one I've seen uh, more recent is the 45L tax credit. Exactly how does that work? Yeah, so it's a, it's a similar concept. Um, however, it's for your residential rentals, so duplexes, uh, any apartment building under three stories above grade, 
um, your single family rental homes. The nice thing about the 45L energy credit is that it is actually a tax deduction. It's a dollar for dollar tax deduction. And currently it sits at $2,000 per unit. So if you've got a fourplex, that's an $8,000 credit. Um, again, dollar for dollar tax credit if your building qualifies. So if that construction qualifies as being energy efficient, um, then you would be able to get certified and take advantage of those certificates. And like I said, in a, in a fourplex example, that'd be an $8,000 dollar tax credit. Um, I will say, I actually just saw it come across my desk this morning. Um, one of the part of the new provision um, with the, um, uh, what is it? Build a better America, whatever. I'm trying to remember the name of the exact bill, the triple B it's BBB building back America better or something like that. But you know what I'm talking about, Don, the new yeah, provisions, yes. the, the new administration is coming out with, um, Part of what's in there is extending these energy credits and actually increasing them. Um, so there is some increasing going from uh, potentially $2,000 to $5,000, depending on how energy efficient your building is. There's kind of a tiered system in there um, for the 45L. And then there's actually talks of increasing the 179D from $1.80 up to as potentially as much as $5 a square foot. So none of that stuff's been passed yet. Um, you know, we still have to get it approved and it has to go into law, but there are some things on the horizon. These energy credits usually are by, get bipartisan support because it's a tax credit or a tax deduction. So um, one side of the aisle likes that, plus it's green energy. And so the other side of the aisle likes that. So usually they get bipartisan support. So my guess is this stuff will find its way into law. And so those would take effect in 2022. So any new construction in 22 excuse me, in 2022, the tax deductions could be potentially um, um, larger than what they currently are. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds amazing. And, and one of the other things I've noticed in um, newer buildings is um, the cars, the electric um, charging stations outside. Are those some of the things that can qualify a building for those deductions as well? Um, they wouldn't qualify for the energy efficiency credit. They would qualify as short-term assets in terms of a cost segregation study. Um, and so they, they could be accelerated and, and with the bonus depreci depreciation, excuse me, with the bonus depreciation, um, they could basically be written off in the first year, but they don't help qualify for the energy credits. The energy credits really looking at the building, looking at the quality of the windows, the quality of the insulation, how efficient the heating and air units are, um, the lighting, et cetera. And um, if they qualify, like I said, you can get it certified and get those those credits. Okay, and, uh, and I'm not sure if this matters. I mean, is gas versus electric um, more efficient? You know, it depends on what part of the country. So um, there's all kinds of modeling that goes into these 45L and 179D energy credits. And so different types of heating and air um, or different types of energy sources get different values depending on what part of the country you're in and how efficient they are. So um, again, I think that's why the IRS, you know, requires you to get that third party verification on those to determine um, um, whether or not they qualify. Okay. Makes sense. And Eric, um, a considerable portion of my investors are expats residing out of the country who invest in multifamily syndications here in the state. So are they able to take advantage of the, of cost segregation for their U.S. tax obligations? 
Absolutely. Yeah. So if they're paying U.S. tax on it, um, they can absolutely apply these depreciation expenses to help offset those tax liabilities. So um, absolutely. So that, you know, on a syndication project, usually the deductions get handed down through the K-1s. Mm-hmm. And so on their K-1, they'll have a large negative number there. Um, if a cost segregation study is performed in the, you know, on that first year, they'll get a large negative number that then can flow through to their personal tax return. Okay, excellent. All right, and Eric, before we jump into the lightning round, is there any um, anything else that you think would prove valuable for um, our listeners regarding regarding this topic? No, I, I think the only thing I, I've probably failed to mention, Don, is you know, in terms of bonus depreciation, just be aware that that is phasing out. Um, so bonus depreciation, any assets purchased between September 27th of 17 and the end or December 31st of 2022 is eligible for a hundred percent bonus starting in 2023, it drops to 80%. And then in 2024 to 60, and it keeps going down 20% until it eventually phases out to 0% bonus in 2027. Um, Again, there was talks about getting rid of bonus depreciation altogether or reducing it with the new administration. Um, the initial proposal that came out of the Ways and Means Committee didn't mention anything about bonus, which I think is a good thing. So I think bonus is definitely here to stay. But just as investors, you know, we just need to be aware and tax plan that these are phasing out eventually. And so we need to make sure that we've got, you know, good tax strategies and good tax planning in place so that when they do phase out, we have other ways of of mitigating our tax liability, you know, whether it's through investing in opportunity zones or, um, you know, different ways of structuring your your deals, but just something to be aware of that this stuff is, cost segregation still will be around and you'll still be able to accelerate those deductions, but, um, you know, bonus depreciation itself will be phasing out here in the next coming years. Okay, noted. All right, so yeah, let's jump into the lightning round and let's see um, what makes you tick here. <laughs> All right. This is the part I've been looking forward to all day, Don. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> so what book or books have greatly influenced your life? Um, I got to admit that I'm not much of a reader um, well, in terms of reading books. So I, I read a lot of periodicals and, and, and um, do a lot of reading on the internet. But um, one of my favorite books is a book that I read in college. And I'll probably take a different stance here and not go with a business book. But I'm gonna, it's Into the Wild. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with oh, it. Yeah, I, I, know, I know that movie. one for sure. Yeah, yeah, it became a movie, but just about a young kid who kind of has everything going for him. I think his parents are, you know, doctors and lawyers, and they got him into an Ivy League school. And um, he he gets into school and he realizes that school is not for him. And he kind of goes against the grain and sells off all his assets, gives his car away, gives his money away, and goes and does what makes him happy, and that's living in the wild. And so. Um, he lives in the wild, unfortunately, for only a short period of time before he um, ends up eating some bad poisonous berries but, and ends up passing away. But um, I just think there's a lot of the lessons there in terms of, um, you know, we all don't tick the same way. You know, we're not all motivated by the same things. And, um, and it just keeps me level-headed knowing that, you know, it's not about what you have or who you know or or what you do, but it's, you know, life is short and we all got to do what makes us happy. And so um, that's probably one of my favorite books. Okay, great. Yeah, I love that. 
Thanks. And, and, and Eric, how has a failure or perceived failure actually allowed you a greater success later? Um, that's another great question. I think for me, it was actually, it wasn't even a perceived failure. It was a 100% failure on my part. <laughs> um, and I'll tell you a quick story. I was, I was probably, again, maybe early 20s, um, saved my money, bought a car stereo. And I remember very vividly, they said, you know, it's $125 to install that stereo. Do you want us to install it? And I said, no, I can do it. And so I went home and spent two and a half days trying to figure out how to install this stereo. I had to get a wire from the battery to the trunk. And I was ripping up the carpet. I was going to drill holes in the bottom of the car. Um, had no idea what I was doing. This is well before YouTube was around and we could look this stuff up on YouTube. So I had no idea what I was doing. Ended up, ended up calling the, the car place back. Had to ask them how to do it. They told me how to do it. Told me what tools I needed. Once I knew what I was doing, it took me you know, only two hours to get it installed. Um, six months later, the stereo started shorting out, and I learned my lesson very early in life that um, it's very important to surround yourself with professionals who know what they're doing, and it's worth every dollar in terms of paying them to, to do what they do. And so, um, you know, we can't be experts in everything in our lives. And so surrounding, and I know this is, is often talked about in the real estate industry, but surrounding yourself with a team of professionals who know what they're doing. You know, you can't be an expert in lending. You can't be an expert in, in raising capital. You can't be an expert in tax. So you need to really surround yourself and build a team. Um, and I learned that early in my life to know, I know where my, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And I have no problem surrounding myself with people who are good at the skills that I don't possess, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And paying them well for those skills, right? Right, <laughs> right. Absolutely. So. All right, good one. And, and if you could have a billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? Um, I think I would probably, I think it would say, do your part. Um, sometimes I have to remind myself that there's certain things that I can't control in life and in business and in my personal life. And I sometimes stress about the things that are out of my control. And so I found that if, if I just keep saying that in my head, do, do my part, mm -hmm. do what you can control. There's certain things we can control. There's certain things we can't, and there's no point in stressing out about the things that are outside of our control. Right. So um, I often tell my kids, you know, do your part. I know your brother's not doing his chores, but that doesn't mean you don't have to do your chores. You need to do your part and get your stuff done. So that would probably be what I'd say. All right, good. And Eric, what's your favorite place to think big? Um, it's a good thing this is a podcast, Don, because this isn't going to be a pretty <laughs> visual, but it's probably the shower. Um, I find myself talking in this. My wife will joke. She's like, what are you talking about? And i I do some of my best thinking in the shower. I think that's, you know, as a father with young kids, I think that's some of the only time I have to myself is in the mm. shower where I'm not <laughs> being pulled in one direction or another. So, um, you know, I think about what I have on my agenda for the day. I think about what I'm trying to accomplish, you know, in, in terms of goals. And, and so I think probably my best uh, thinking is done in the shower. That's your um, personal version of the spa, huh? That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. And what are some bad recommendations you hear in your day-to-day for people looking to reduce tax obligations? Um, good question. So I don't want to be too self-serving here, but there are um, there are do-it-yourself cost segregation applications out there, software per se. And, um, you know, in my time doing cost segregation, I have found just like in any service industry, you know, you think about your tax returns. If you take your tax return to five different CPAs, you're going to get five different results. Hmm. Um, The same thing goes with cost segregation. So there's some low cost alternatives to doing what we do in terms of an engineering-based study. You know, you can basically download some software, input a few numbers, and it's going to spit out a report. But the reports are, are so conservative. And um, at the end of the day, it's, it's, you're not getting good value. It's just like, you know, you know, you think of different types of cars, whether you buy, you know, a Mercedes or you buy a car that's going to have less resale value, more maintenance problems. Um, it's the same thing in business. And, and I think in life, to be honest with you, you know, um, you got to look at the overall value. So doing some of this stuff on your own, whether it's your own time, I mean, I, I work with people, Don, who own millions of dollars of real estate. And I'm like, okay, who's your CPA? And they're like, oh, I do my taxes on TurboTax. Oh, wow. I'm thinking to myself, you own all this real estate, um, you know, complicated stuff, you know, syndicate, all kinds of stuff. And you're, you're doing your own taxes. And some of them are, you know, come from a CPA background, but others of them, I'm like, they just don't want to pay the money to hire a CPA. And I'm like, you're leaving. Yeah, you're saving a little bit of money by not hiring the CPA but you're leaving hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table in terms of taxes um, by not having this stuff structured correctly or not utilizing um, different strategies. So um, I guess that's a long answer to your question, but um, you know, again, going back to hiring an expert and knowing what you're good at, I think is, is extremely important. Yeah, definitely. It plays. Yeah. Right back to your story about the stereo. Right. I mean, right. Right. All right, good one. And um, what have you become better at saying no to? Um, you know, I personally, for me, I've always kind of been a, a people pleaser and um, I don't like to rock the boat too much. I, I try to avoid conflict at all costs. And so sometimes I find myself saying yes when I shouldn't. Um, as I've gotten older and as I as the clock is ticking, I've realized that <laughs> life is short and sometimes you have to say no. Um, so if it doesn't really add value to my goals or what I'm trying to accomplish, um, I find myself saying, trying to say more, or excuse me, trying to say no more often um, as I get a little bit older. Um, but really, just try to focus on you know things that add value to to my career, to my family, to my community, things that I'm trying to accomplish. Um, you know, if it's if it's something outside of that realm. Um, I really try to at least think twice about just saying yes and doing it so that I don't upset somebody. <laughs> um, <laughs> sometimes it's okay to say no. And I've had to learn that um, as I've gotten older in life, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay. To say no. Yes. All right. And the last one, um, what important truth do very few people agree with you on? Hmm. That's a, that's a tough one. I, I will probably go with, and I, I hate to keep going back to that same example, but you kind of get what you pay for. I've, hmm. I've learned that again, the hard way. It seems like all these lessons I've learned the hard way, Don, I must have a hard time <laughs> listening to my, <laughs> I feel like everything I've learned the hard way, but 
um, you do get what you pay for, whether, and, you know, I'll use a, a real estate example, whether you're, you're looking for the, the cheapest or lowest cost CPA, or you're looking for the cheapest or lowest cost property management group. Um, there's a reason, you know, nobody wants to be gouged or taken advantage of, but um, I think I've had, I've, I've learned to try and really find the value in these different services or products that I'm a part of. And so, you know, and sometimes the value, it, it does cost more, but you're getting more service. If you have mm-hmm. less problems, better service, better results, sometimes that's going to cost you. Um, you know, I just look at property managers, for example, I, I, I just think of examples where I've taken the, the, the less expensive route and it doesn't always benefit you in the long run. And so um, really diving in and trying to find somebody's value and getting a better understanding of their, their pricing model and what it is you're paying for. Um, once you understand what you're paying for, I think that price becomes irrelevant. If you think you're getting a value, um, you know, obviously you don't want to be gouged, but I think that that's one of the important truths. I think that sometimes, you know, us in life, we look at, <laughs> we step over, uh, what is it? Step over a dollar to save a penny, right? And so right, exactly. um, just knowing that and, remembering that in life, I think has been extremely helpful, but I think it is, I find a lot of people who, especially early on in, in life, you know, younger folks or folks who are are new to investing, it's all about trying to save money and trying to cut costs. And I'm like, you know, you might be saving a dollar today, but those are, that's going to, that decision is going to cost you a lot more down the road. And so trying to learn the value of that. Right. Yeah. And another perfect example is the, the little old lady driving, an hour across town to use her 10 cent coupon. <laughs> I could give you examples of my wife doing the same thing. She's <laughs> like, Eric, it's free shipping. If I buy $200 worth of stuff, I'm like, Debbie, but you only needed a $15 shirt. Right. She'll spend the extra $185 to get the free shipping, which would have cost her seven. I don't know if she's <laughs> just using that as an excuse or not, but I feel you done. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you better hope she's she doesn't listen to this podcast. We're gonna be in trouble. Oh, you're right. <laughs> so, all right, excellent stuff, Eric. Ex- excellent stuff. So, thank you so much for taking the time to um, join and share some of your wisdom with us. I'm sure this is very helpful for our listeners. Oh yeah, absolutely, Don. I I appreciate the time today, and hopefully, was able to shed some light on. Um, like I said, I imagine most of your listeners know about cost segregation, but um, hopefully we dove a little bit deeper and gave them a little better understanding of some of the, the nuances there. Yeah, absolutely. And um, before we hop off, if, if, um, if I have any investors who wanted to reach out to you or put you in touch with their CPA, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the best way would be through our website. So on our website, we have an information button. You can click on that. Um, provide us your information. Someone will get back to you right away. Um, as well as um, it's got my contact information, email, phone number. Um, but please feel free to use this as a resource. Um, you know, we don't bill by the hour. Um, we just want to be a resource. If you've got any questions on depreciation, absolutely feel free to reach out. We're happy to jump on a phone call, give you, you know, the advice that we have, share our knowledge with you, but please use this as a resource. Okay. And just to uh, confirm that, that, um, website is costsegauthority.com, right? Costsegauthority.com. 
That's correct. Yeah, www.costseg-authority, costsegauthority.com. All right. There you have it, guys. And that's Eric Oliver. Thanks again, Eric. Um, you have a great day. I'll be talking to you very soon. Okay. Sounds good, Don. Take care. All right. Take care, Eric. Bye. Bye. There you have it, guys. Another episode of Dealmaker Diaries in the books. If you enjoy and or find value in what we're doing, please do leave us a nice review. It goes a long way in keeping the show moving in the right direction. For you investors, if you're looking for places to put your hard-earned capital to work, head on over to our website, g1cgrp.com, and sign up for our investor list to be informed of the different projects we're raising capital for that will provide you with the cash flow your investments so much deserves.